Guys, this is like a top 10 Rise podcast interview for me. Uh, not in terms of it's not The Rock. I mean, I wish it was, but it's not. It's actually my dear friend, David Bach, who is the author of so many books that you have absolutely heard of, the most famous of which is Smart Women Finish Rich. What I love about today's interview is that he really breaks down finances and 401ks and investment and saving in a way that even me, with my very limited math skills and knowledge in this area, even I can understand. The gist of the conversation is this. Whether you are a man or a woman, especially if you are a woman, you need to be in control. You need to know where your money is and you need to have a plan for how you are going to have that money work for you. So if finances is something that you're struggling with, this is an episode you do not want to miss. It's about an hour, which is a pretty long interview for me, but every single minute of it is worth your time. I'm Rachel Hollis, and I've built a multi-million dollar media company with a high school diploma and the free information I found on the internet. In the 15 years that I've been building and scaling my company, I have become deeply passionate about helping other entrepreneurs to do the same. So each week, I'll be sharing tangible and tactical advice and inspiring interviews with the same intention. These are the tools to change your life and your business. This is The Rise Podcast. I got a stack of your books from your team and I had them um, at the house and one of my girlfriends walked in and she was like, oh my gosh, it's the Bible. I mean, it's just, and I was like, oh, I know, I know him. I was just with him in Puerto Rico and she about Peter Pants. <laughs> so your, your wisdom has been going back quite a long ways. If people are not already familiar with you, will you tell them who you are and, and what you're all about? Yeah, well, my pleasure. Well, you know, I don't know what book your girlfriend read, but I'm going to guess she read Smart Women Finish Rich. <laughs> that was the one. Okay. And that book came out originally over 20 years ago. And so, you know, if you go all the way back, like, well, wait a minute, this is a guy. How did a guy end up writing a book for women and money 20 years ago? Um, the answer is I, I grew up, I learned about money from a woman and that woman was my grandma Rose Bach. And that first book, Smart Women Finish Rich, is actually dedicated to her and it's her life lessons. So, you know, my grandmother, my grandmother made this decision, Rachel, at 30, that would ultimately change our family's entire destiny, really. Um, she made a decision at 30 that she was tired of being broke. And the reason that was a big deal is that my, my, my grandparents did not have a college education, neither of them. Um, you know, very, very middle class. My grandmother sold wigs at Gimbel's department store. She worked in retail. And at 30, really just out of total frustration, she turned to my grandfather and she said, you know, I'm taking over the, fam the family finances. And she said, from here on out, every week, you're going to be giving me 50 cents out of your paycheck. I'm going to take 50 cents out of my paycheck. We're going to put it in this coffee can in the kitchen and I'm going to start investing. And, you know, my grandfather was like, well, you don't know how to invest. And she's like, I know yeah. I don't, you know, I know I don't know how to invest, but I'm going to go out and learn. And so she did. And over her lifetime, which is like a really important lesson, over her lifetime, she became a self-made millionaire. 
Okay, so I just before you go on, I really just want our listeners to absorb what you just said, because you know we have this this journal practice that we do as a community, and if I go into the hashtag and I look at what women are writing down without fail, ninety nine percent of this hashtag people are writing, I am debt free. I am financially free. I am. This is such a focus for our community. And I really just want them to hear what you said. She did not have any experience with this, but she knew that she could learn. You know, she like these things. Yes, it was going to be hard. Yes, it was going to be difficult. And she say it again, starting with 50 cents in a coffee can made herself into a millionaire. In what year, by the way, too? Just just so they have a, a frame of reference for this. So I have to go back and think about this because this is giving me chills right now. But so this has to be like over 60 years ago. It's when, 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 she, when, when she started, right? Because my grandmother's passed away. Mm-hmm. But um, there, there are more lessons to unpack, too, because my grandmother saved. In order for my grandmother to actually save that money, she had to actually change the way she spent money. So she started brown bagging her lunch. And, you know, later we'll talk about the latte factor and this metaphor for how you find your money. But my grandmother had to brown bag her lunch. And so she would, she started carrying her little brown bag of her pre-made lunch to Gimbel's department store. And her girlfriends would go out to lunch every day. And she's like, well, I'm going to save money. And they're like, well, you can't, you can't bring your little brown bag lunch out with us. That's embarrassing. And, you know, she said, so she's like, well, then I just won't go. And she was sad about that. Like her friends didn't actually support her in the beginning. And if you really go through the, my grandmother's story in detail, like that first year, she saves all this money. She goes down to a brokerage firm and she doesn't go with my grandfather. She goes by herself and she walks into a brokerage firm to open up a brokerage account with her coffee can of money. And the broker, the men all in this brokerage firm looked at her scoffed and said to her, you know what? We don't open brokerage accounts for women. You need to come back with your husband. Oh, yep. And my grandmother was really a strong woman, a feisty woman. And she said she put her hands on her hips and you would have loved my grandmother. And she's like, you know, guys, there's four fir- there's four brokerage firms on the street. And if you don't want my money, I'll just go next door. And they were like, okay, ma'am, sit down. And then they she opened up a brokerage account. And ultimately, that first year, like later when I went to write the, the book, Smart Women Finish Rich, and share her life lessons, I said, Grandma, how did you do the first year? Because now my grandmother's a self-made millionaire. I, I'm, a, I'm a financial advisor. I have her account in front of me. I see all these amazing stocks she invested in. And she said, David, everything that I bought that first year, I lost everything. I, mm-hmm. I, at the end of the year, I had nothing to show for it. And I go, what did Grandpa say? And she's like, I didn't tell him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I said to her, I said, well, so what kept you going, right? Because now you're 31, you brown bagged your lunch for a year, and you have nothing to show for it. And she said, you know, David, I was 31 years old, I was still broke, and I just knew that I had to become smarter than I had been the first year. Because she said the first year, I was getting all my financial advice from my network of friends, and my network of friends was all poor, and so Ooh, she said, I had that's a good, right. Cause I know you built this huge community and I built a community and like, she's like, I had to go find new, she, she didn't use the word community back then, but she's like, I had to go find, I had to go learn and find mentors that had already become wealthy. And so she started taking classes and she actually went to a couple people that she knew who were really wealthy and asked for help. And yeah. that, that ultimately is what changed the directory of her, you know, the direction of her life. But, you know, when you ask about me, 
she helped me buy my first stock at age seven in McDonald's. And I can unpack that for you because there's so many lessons in how she taught me at seven years old that other moms listening and dads too can use what my grandmother did to me, did with me at seven to teach their kids about money. Mm-hmm. Which was, because I, I remember this story from the book. It was like, it was your favorite place. You guys used to go there and get, you know, a hamburger and fries. And so you got to, she, she got to help you buy a stock. And in the book, you're like, man, I wish, <laughs> I wish it had been more because at the time that would have been so much worth so much more today. Yeah, that was, that was in Smart Women Finish Rich. The, um, the, the lesson was we were at McDonald's. So I'm seven years old. It's my favorite restaurant in the whole world. And she taught me this really simple lesson you can teach your kids in three minutes. She said, David, because I, I, I loved money at a young age. I, I, want, I always wanted to play Monopoly with her. And she said, I'm going to teach you how to play Monopoly in the real world. And I'm going to teach you how to get rich in the real world. So she said, you know, we're sitting here today at McDonald's. It's your favorite restaurant. But if you look at that woman right now who's working at the cash register, she has a job. And that job pays minimum wage. And back then, minimum wage was like 85 cents an hour, which to me, as a kid, seemed like a whole lot of money. But, Mm -hmm. you know, she said, that's a really hard way to make a living. And then she said, now there's a second type of person, and that's you right now. You're here eating and spending money. That's what most people are like. And then she said, there's a third person who owns this place and is getting rich off of every single person who comes in here and orders food. And she said, you want to learn how to be that person. And I'm like, without getting a job, I don't understand. And she's like, I'm going to teach you today. And so she took me home, opened up the Wall Street Journal showed me how to look up McDonald's, circled MCD, and said, today I'm going to teach you how to buy one share of McDonald's. And now you'll, at seven years old, own this place. When you Mm -hmm. go, you'll make money from yourself. You'll make money from your friends. Owners in America get rich, she said. And that's what started my personal journey. To yeah, here's what here's what I want to because I, I, I'm thinking of myself a decade ago, and and my knowledge of the stock market was really limited to I had a 401k that I you know contributed to, and that I really didn't understand. So before we go further, because I think you're so good at explaining these terms in a really simple way for the for the listeners who feel like right now we're talking about something that is so unattainable, so outside their realm of possibility, the idea of ever owning stock or why they would even contemplate that. Because I think most people listening, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put words in their mouth right now, but I would assume that most people listening think that they can work their way to wealth. Does that, you know, like, it's sort of like this myth, like I can work if I, if I get a good enough job, if my business does well enough, I can, and this is a way of making your money work for you. Does that, does that feel like a good way of explaining it? Yeah. And I think it's a great way of explaining it. So I just put this new book out last week called The Latte Factor. And it's this little story designed to help you know, 98% of Americans who would never want to reach a finance, would never read a financial book. We packaged up the life lessons you need to know into this little tiny story that you can read in like 90 minutes. So I'm sitting here in Atlanta today and I just left CNN. And and I'm going to tell you a story that happened to CNN because I think it'll help, you know, your listeners, right? So I'm at CNN 
And, you know, the person doing my makeup is like, oh, what are you coming to talk about? And I said, oh, I've got this little book out called The Latte Factor. And she's like, oh, great. She's like, I really need some financial advice. Like, what do you think I should, what stocks would you recommend or what mutual funds would you recommend? And I go, well, let me, let me tell you what's in the book and let me tell you what you need to do. I'm going to make it super simple for you. Here's what you need to do. Not knowing your situation. This is what Zoe Daniels learns in the book at 27. You need to be paying yourself first one hour a day of your income. Now, there's this the makeup room at CNN is, is it's like the biggest green room I've seen. And all there's like four other people getting makeup done. And everybody kind of like starts turning to me and listening. And I go, you, need, you work at CNN and you have a 401k plan. You need to be paying yourself first one hour a day of your income. So you come to work at nine and you work until five. And she's like, well, I actually came to work until three and I'm leaving here at 10. I go, okay, same idea. <laughs> same idea. It's, it's the first hour day of your income. And you need to make sure that you're saving that percentage in your 401k plan. Because okay, wait. So go go slower for me because this is not math and numbers are not my spiritual gifting. <laughs> so you're saying if someone are are you saying let's say someone makes twenty bucks an hour, you're saying one day a week you're you're taking twenty dollars. Is that what? No, you're... no. It's okay. It's, it's one hour a day of your income. So if you make twenty dollars an hour, you need mm-hmm. to be keeping twenty dollars a day of your income. So yes. if you make a hundred dollars an hour, you make you keep a hundred dollars an hour of your income. And okay. if you're self-employed, then you're taking at least ten percent of your income right off the top to pay yourself first. So here's the here's the math though, because I always say an hour instead of percentages, because nobody's good at math. Mm-hmm. For the most part, they're really not. <laughs> one hour a day of your income, and this is exactly what I said to the gal doing, literally doing my hair and makeup. I'm like, one hour a day of your income is 12.5% of your gross income. And I said, without you showing me your 401k plan right now, I bet you I can tell you how much of you, how much you're currently saving in your 401k plan. I said, I would be willing to bet money. I go, first of all, are you using your plan? She said, yes. I go, okay, I would be willing to bet money right now. You're saving somewhere between 3 to 6% of your paycheck in your 401k plan. And she looked at me and she's like, how do you, how do you know that? I'm like, because that's pretty much the average across yeah. America that people do if they use their 401k plan. So I said, she said, and she kind of, she was, she goes, yeah, I am. I'm saving 6%. And I go, okay, well, that's not enough. You need to be saving one hour a day of your income. You need to go from 6 to 12%. And she says to me, and this is the beauty of having real life conversations. She says to me, Rachel, I can't save another 6% of my income. There's just mm-hmm. no way. Like I've got two kids, I'm single, and there's just no way I could save 6% more of my income. And I'm about to go talk about the latte factor and how we spend small amounts of money on little things. Right before she's told me all this, Rachel, she's confessed to me that she's constantly buying stuff online, that she's clicking mm-hmm. on things on Instagram, that she shops too much on Amazon. And mm-hmm. I go, let me ask you a question. And this is where everybody in the makeup room also paid attention again. I go, if management came in here right now and told you and everyone else in this room that you were about to have two choices, a 6% pay cut, or you could pack up your makeup here right now and you could leave and you're no longer employed. Yep. What would you do? And she looked at me and she's like, um, I guess I'd figure it out. Yeah. I go, you'd stay, right? She goes, yeah, I'd stay. And I go, so here's the thing. Why, why do I have to come in and, and reduce your income by 
and force you to figure it out. You need to figure it out now. And here's the thing. I'm guessing this, this woman is 35. I, I said to her, just li- please listen to me on this. I'm like, you, you're going to look back 10 years from now. The next 10 years are going to go blo- go by in a blink of an eye. And your 45-year-old or 50-year-old self is going to thank you that you gave yourself a pay cut because it's not a pay cut. It's a put yourself first plan. Mm -hmm. You are actually not losing this money. You are buying your financial freedom for later. You Mm -hmm. are buying your financial security for now. And she looked at me and she's like, "Hmm, okay. And then as we walked away, the producer for the show who booked me, she said, David, I got to tell you something. She's like, I read your book cover to cover and I've already increased my 401k plan. 2%. Two percent, <laughs> and I just I gave her a high five, and I'm like, see yeah. that then my job's done, right? Because I re- I put a little book into this person. She got this little book t- two days ago, and she increased what she's saving in her 401k plan by two percent, and that's a game changer for her. And can you can can you explain it just in case people don't understand why are you suggesting they put it in a 401k versus like a savings account? Oh sure. So you, you have to use retirement accounts, and there's a couple of reasons why. Number one, when you put money in, you get a tax deduction, right? So if you've got an employer plan, like you were talking about earlier, where you were when you had it when you had a job, or Dave had a job, mm-hmm. when you have these plans, the money comes right out of your paycheck. It gets moved. The key thing here is it gets moved automatically into the retirement account. So that's huge because that's like the second biggest secret to building wealth. First is you have to pay yourself first. Second is you don't want to use a budget. You want to have the money moved automatically. So 401k Mm. plans make it, it's just a one decision process. Like you click a button. Now that money is getting moved for you every few weeks. You don't see it happening. And I feel like, again, this is a point that I want to make sure that you guys hear is you don't want to have the money come into your bank account and then have to make the decision to send it somewhere because the likelihood of you doing that is pretty slim. You want it to come out of that paycheck before it even hits your account so that you're not tempted. Is that That, the idea? that's, That's the entire idea. And here's the thing, Rachel, when we look at like what's really created millionaires and people who are financially well off in America, people who've done this with an ordinary income, what they've done is they've just simply, they got a job. (laughs) They signed Uh and they basically paid themselves first one hour day of their income. And they did it for 20 to 30 years. And they turned around and they had a whole bunch of money. Right. And we show this in the book, like the magic of compound interest, how, you know, you start in your twenties and you save $10 a day. You'd be a multimillionaire by the time you reach 65. Mm-hmm. And, but the second thing I, you know, before I just go off of this, like when the money is in a retirement account, it's not being taxed each year. So it's, it's tax sheltered. So mm-hmm. that's a huge thing. That's why money grows so much faster in retirement accounts. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing is you can't just have your money in a, in a bank because in a bank it's earning zero or maybe 1%. Yeah. And at that rate, you'll never, you'll never grow your money. Like the, one thing to know about money is, your money's either working for you or it's working for someone else. Yes, totally. And so you have to get the money to work for you. So, you know, back to the latte factor, we had this young woman named Zoe Daniels, who's like this 27-year-old millennial, and she's been working for six years in New York, making more money, but she's still living paycheck to paycheck. And she gets taken by the hand by some mentors who teach her these lessons, these simple life lessons. 
that transform her whole life. But mm-hmm. I, you know, you've got this. I, I, I've been I've been like fanboying on you because I, <laughs> on the plane flight out to Atlanta, I got to reread your Success Magazine article, which is incredible. And I had your Girl Stop Apologizing book, and you have this great quote. It's it kills me when I meet women, and life is living them. They're not living life. They're yeah. not in control. They're not in the driver's seat. Yep. And that quote just gave me chills because in the beginning of this little book, The Latte Factor, Zoe Daniels is coming to work. She comes, she works downtown in Manhattan and she works in the Freedom Tower and she comes out in the Oculus and she sees this LCD screen. This is the first chapter of the book. And on this LCD screen on the way to her office, it says, if you don't know where you're going, you might not like where you end up. Mm-hmm. And she comes up with this escalator up to a, right right up at the 9-11. This is all real because right where I live downtown. And she comes up at the 9-11 Memorial. And she's been walking by the 9-11 Memorial for six years, rushing to her office every day. And on this morning, she stops and she sits down in front of the 9-11 Memorial. And she asks herself, where is she going with her life? And that's what begins Zoe Daniels' story in this book and it, it goes right to what you talk about right like we we tend to sleepwalk our way through life and so much of it is being just woken back up to what do you really want for your life and then realizing like money is just a tool to help you get there I, you tell this story too i mean you told this story when i got to meet you for the first time but you tell the story in uh smart smart women finish rich that you would um, the, sort of the impetus or one of the impetus for writing that book was you were a financial advisor and so many women would come into your office or come into your dad's office and they have no idea what the finances are. They don't know where anything is. You had watched as a family, some some family friends who got divorced and then were left basically destitute by uh, a divorce that didn't protect her at all. Will you talk a little bit about that uh, season in your life? Yeah, so I completely. So I came in the business in 1993 as a financial advisor, and my dad had been in the business for 25 years. And I sat in meetings with my father. And in the first month, we had multiple clients die. And they they were all men, because it's always the men that die first. And in the third meeting... This woman turned to my father and said, you know, Bill told me if anything happens to me that you would take care of me, Marty. And so I don't understand anything that's here. I don't know even how to write a check, but I know that you'll help me figure this all out. And she walked out of the office and my dad said, I totally, I will. And, and two things, two things hit me right then. One was this woman was so lucky that my husband's, my husband, that my dad is an honest man because mm-hmm. if she had been in off, if she had been in the office with somebody who wasn't honest, they could have really taken advantage of her. Mm-hmm. This, this, and I just told the story at an event two weeks ago with my family. I told my dad was in the room there. I said, then she, so she left the office and I said to my dad, what the hell is going on in here? Um, we, I've sat in meetings now with three widows in 30 days and we're teaching these widows how to read their brokerage statements and know where their income is going to come from. And he looked at me and he goes, well, David, your grandmother's the exception. She's not the rule. Most women, cause we had all these older clients and they were, you know, I would call them, this is a while ago. This is the nineties. They were traditional families and the husband had done all the money management. 
Yeah. And I said, well, this is crazy, dad. We need to get in front of this issue. And I, you know, I think I want to teach a class for our women clients. That was the original idea. And I had lunch with my mom. I told my mom this idea. And my mom goes, well, David, she starts telling me about her friends are getting wiped out financially from divorce. She said, if you teach that class, I'll bring all my girlfriends. And that class was in 1994 at the Lafayette Park Hotel. We had 225 women want to come to the first seminar. The room only fit. I know. The room only, everybody, by the way, Rachel, everyone told me not to do this. Everyone told me that there would be nobody, that no one would come, that there would be no interest, that a guy can't teach a class for women and money. Well, I taught that class. And the amazing part of the story is that two weeks ago, I, I did, I started my book tour with my family and my family's clients. And two weeks ago, I was on stage with my sister and there were two women in the room who've been clients now for 25 years that were at that first seminar. That's incredible. Right? Isn't that incredible? And there's this woman, Emilia, and she's like, I was in that first class. And I'm going, the crazy thing is she was young. She was in her 20s and the average person was in their 50s. But she was here, here she is 25 years later. She's like, she's like, I was there in 1994. Another woman was there. She went on Oprah with me years later because she put these things all in place. And then she was my example of this automatic millionaire who came on stage with me at Oprah. Um, so I don't know. It's just been an amazing 25 years, but all it, it just started with me seeing a need and, desi- mm-hmm. and, and, and me wanting to go teach these lessons that my grandmother had already taught me. And mm-hmm. I've basically now been doing this for 25 years. I mean, it's Smart Women Finish Rich has a million copies out. And we've done, we've had a million women go through seminars uh, over the past two decades based on that book. So uh, will you talk about the idea of the latte factor, which is, you know, essentially like how much are you spending on these little things that you could be using, utilizing in a different way? Yeah, totally. So. I've been teaching this. It's a metaphor, by the way. Just let me get that out there for a second, because a lot of people get super angry these days about their coffee being taken away. And I'm not (laughs) trying to take away your coffee. I'm not really not. But it's like, you know, people go, that's my only luxury is my coffee. And I hate this guy. He's telling me to take my coffee away. I'm like, no, I'm not. The, The latte factor is a metaphor designed to get you to actually ask yourself, is it really true that you can't afford to save? Like, is it really true, right? Because people go, oh, I can't save 5 or $10 a day. Is it mm-hmm. really true? Like, literally, I go back to, I was just left CNN, and I downstairs at the CNN headquarters, there's this massive Starbucks, and there were 55 people in line for that mm-hmm. Starbucks. Like, it was just mobbed. And I guarantee you, Rachel, most of those people are not saving more than 2 or 3% in their 401k plans. Yeah. But they're spending two, $300 a month at Starbucks. And mm-hmm. so the lot, but I go back, it's actually not about the coffee. It could be anything. I don't know what you're spending money on. What I know is that when I started teaching the latte factor in, in live classes, what I realized is that people started getting it. They started going, ah, oh, you know what? I probably do have the money. It's like my grandmother who just brown bagged her lunch. Like, you know, maybe it's giving up one beer at the end of the day. Maybe it's mm-hmm. giving up a gym membership that you don't use. Maybe it's, something bigger, right? Like maybe your family's got three cars, but you need two. Maybe you don't need mm-hmm. two cars. You need one and, and you carpool. Mm-hmm. It's coming up with, I just listened to Rachel Hall's podcast and you know what? I'm like grandma Rose Bach. We're still poor living paycheck to paycheck and we need to fix this. And in order mm-hmm. to fix this, 
we need to get real and go, what is our latte factor? Where are we spending money? What can we do to find at least $10 a day? And I'll give you why that's such a specific example is that if you're not saving right now, $10 a day is $300 a month. And it's $3,600 a year. And that's nearly 50000 over a decade. And that's a lot of money. And if mm-hmm. you just start there, it's like you just ran a half marathon. Yeah. You didn't go out and run a half marathon day one, right? <laughs> you, 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 you have to build up to a half marathon. So mm-hmm. a lot of the latte factor is about you having that aha moment that you've got the money and then building your financial muscle. And I don't even care if it starts with a dollar a day. Like, right, go back to Grandma Bach. Can you save a dollar a day? Can you save $5 a day? The average American right now, average, like six out of 10 Americans, cannot get their hands on $1,000 in case of an emergency. Wow. We talked about, you had statistics when we were in Puerto Rico. You were talking about, remember when we were sitting at the table and you were you were giving us some insight into women and money? Because I remember taking notes on the state of uh, like what that was one of them. The average American can't get their hands on a thousand dollars if there's an emergency, your kid gets hurt, you know, lose your job, you don't have that. Do you remember the other ones that you were telling us? Well, I don't think I fin- yeah, I don't think I, oh, I yeah. don't think I finished what I was saying before about you asked me about the women's statistics. So, like eight out of ten women today in America live paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. Now, seven out of ten men do too, so it's not that much better for men. But it's worse for women. And the thing that women need to know, like there's a part of the story, which is very much about women's financial empowerment because of my grandmother, which is that I don't care who you're married to. You need to be in charge of the money. I don't care how financially successful you are. Like you can have a business manager or a financial advisor. You still need to know what's going on with the money. And mm-hmm. for women, it's more important than men. And the reason is you live longer. And because you live longer, the family, if you're married, the family tends to go through the family's wealth during the process that the husband gets sick and 80% of men who die, 80% of men that die, die married. So mm. men often will never actually live through the consequences of poor financial planning. Woo. Women Preach. will seriously live through the consequences because 80% of women die widowed. And when you look at the, the, the poverty stricken elderly, which are like 75% women, they were not poverty stricken before their husband died. And then wow. I'll, I'll go one step further on this, Rachel. The, when I wrote Smart Women Finish Rich originally, the average age of widowhood was 56. Wow. And now it's 57. Wow. That's crazy. It's crazy. Wow. And, you know, there are people who are listening right now who have children and they're married. And they're, if you're an average American and you're living paycheck to paycheck, you don't really have a big financial cushion, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and I'm not here to sell anything. I'm here to, to teach a concept, okay? But for some people, taking the latte factor money and simply buying a term insurance policy, like you could go out and get a half a million dollar term insurance policy for 20 or 30 or 40 or $50 a month, and it could protect your family, right? Like I always mm-hmm. say to men, don't go buy her roses. Ladies, don't ask for roses for Valentine's Day. Ask for a million dollar term policy. 
<laughs> right? Because yes. your husband's going to yes. probably die first. And so instead of the roses that will be dead 72 hours later, you just say, honey, yeah. forget the roses. You know what the most romantic thing you can do for me? Baby, sweetheart, I love you. I'd like a million yeah. dollar term policy on your life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and ladies, people laugh, but I, and I hate the fact that what I'm about to say, but Rachel, people have come back to me and said, you know what? I heard you loud and clear. And I did that. And I got a term policy. And yeah. My husband died. Yeah. And I didn't lose my home and my kids are still able to go to school. And yeah. so like this stuff's real. It's like, this is like the Absolutely. real world stuff. And there's not, it's not complicated. It should be taught in school and it's not. So I've just tried mm -hmm. to make it simple for people so that you yeah. can get the education that you didn't get in school. What do you think are, um, you know, I talk a lot about the excuses that hold us back. I know you talk about some of the myths myths that people believe when it comes to finance. But what do you think are uh, some of the biggest things that are holding people back of, you know, you didn't grow up with, or I'll give you my example. I grew up without money, uh, really strapped. My, my parents were always really struggling in that area. And so when I grew up and started working and my business started to make money, it was very overwhelming for me because I had never managed that much before. And so I dealt with it by just like not looking at it. Like, oh, here's this thing over here. Uh, there's the balance sheet. There's the PL. I'm going to pretend that I'm aware, but I'm not really aware. And I know that there are people listening to this right now, probably a good majority, who don't know where they are financially, who don't want to look at how much debt there actually is. Like, what are what are those things that you think people are holding on to that are really prohibiting them from getting control in this area? Wow. Such a good question. So there's so many things. So, I mean, I can give you a whole bunch of them. I mean, the first thing is, I think if, if you weren't brought up with money or you weren't in a family like most that, you know, you didn't have a grandmother to teach you this stuff, it's really easy to say to yourself, well, I, I just don't know how to do any of this stuff, right? Like I, I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm not good with money. I'm not good at this stuff. Um, and so when you tell yourself you're not good at something, then you have behavior that continually reinforces you're not good at it, right? Yep. So it's a way to rationalize, well, I'm not good at this. I, and so it's, it's just not for me, right? And I always, you know, and then the other thing that people say is, well, money's not important to me, which, which is like, I go, you know, either is oxygen until it's gone, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just not true. Like there's a yeah. level, you, you need a level of money to be okay. It's not about having a million dollars, but you need a level of money to be okay. And then ultimately you need a level of money to be really free to live your life's purpose. Mm -hmm. And I'll talk about that in a second, but I think people tell themselves they're not good with it. Uh, you know, I always, I'm not good with math. Fortunately, you don't need to be good with math. Like basic math. If you know that saving 10 cents out of a dollar is 10%, you know enough yeah. to be wealthy, <laughs> right? Like, yep. like if you know that if you make a dollar, you shouldn't spend a dollar 10, you, you now know enough to be wealthy. If you yeah. know, like in the book, if you save $10 a day, starting in your, at the age of 25, what most people don't know is $10 a day compounded at a decent rate of return, like putting it into the stock market and having it in an index fund at 10%, which is what the market's averaged since 1926. What most people don't know is that $10 a day, you could have almost $2 million by the time you're 65 Wow. If you started at 25 mm -hmm. and when you, people look at these charts, they always go, Oh, but I didn't know this at 25. You know, like I had people today in the message boards, this one woman was 53 and she was like, 
I just read this book and I've been like crying all day long because I, I, I didn't get this book at 25 and I just don't know now if any of this stuff can work for me. And, and I'm just super sad about what I haven't done. And mm-hmm. then people started piling into the message board saying, you know, this is on Facebook saying, it's okay. I was there too. Like one woman was like, I was 60, I'm 65 now. Like I read David's book, you know, 15 years ago and I had nothing. Now I'm out of debt. Now I own my home. Now I've got mm. money in savings. Now I'm retiring. Like you just need to start. Like yeah. wherever you are today, you just need to start. And and you need to be okay with it. You don't need to know it all this very moment to get started. Like I love yeah. I love that you talk about Rachel, um, you know, having an infant mind. I think that's your phrase, mm-hmm. right? Like Yeah, yeah. Right? Like have an infant mind because as we get older, we're so afraid to learn something new. Yep. And it's okay to ask for help, right? Well, it's what it's it's that thing that everybody because I get this a lot too. In in any area, people are like, "Well, I don't know how," or "I'm not." And I'm like, "Did you know how to drive a car? No, you didn't know how to drive a car. You learned because the car was the tool that got you from where you are to where you wanted to go. And this is the same exact thing. Anything can be learned. Anything is something that you can go out. You can get this book as an example. You can go listen to podcasts. You can go watch YouTube videos. You can arm yourself with knowledge. It's like stop saying that you don't know because the information is out there. So you not knowing is a choice. Like if you're listening to this podcast right now and you're like, man, that's hitting me. Like that's resonating. I could find 10 bucks a day. I know that I could. Well, now you have some knowledge not doing anything about it. That's going to be you choosing to stay in this place. Mm, oh, man. And, you know, it's so true. And let me let me just tell you something. Give me one more thing on top of this. So the other the other thing that people tell themselves. I did this too, by the way, when I was in my 20s. I can't invest or save money now. I'm not making enough. Once I make more, then I'll do it. Mm -hmm. The the problem with that is it's not true. When we make more money, we just spend more money. Yes. Wait. Okay. Hold on. Before you leave this, can we dig into it? I've been thinking about this so much lately is what is the conversation for someone? I know this isn't exactly what the book is about, but I also know you will have this answer. If someone has found themselves with a promotion with a new job that pays them more than the old job did, if they've come into a bit more money, what I'm seeing play out in members of my community and friends or whatever is that they get to a new level financially and they immediately are spending at that level versus like you get to a new level and you're still living. Oh my God, Rachel. The, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I keep trying to think of how do I explain this? Well, I know what you're thinking right now, I think. Yeah. Um, without putting people under the jet. But um, everybody does this, right? So let's just take, yeah. like, I'll just use myself as an example, but then we can talk about like other, like as it grows, right? So like, when I got out of college, I truly believed if I could make $50,000 a year, I would be rich because I had no money. Yeah. And I made 50 and I was still broke. So I thought, well, if I could make 75, that's how much I need. Then I'll be able to save and invest. I made 75 and I was still broke. Then I mm-hmm. made 100 because I was like, it just, I just need to make 100 grand. And at $100,000 a year, I now had a leased Jaguar convertible, a rental apartment, <laughs> a Rolex watch, and in walks this ordinary couple into my office named Jim and Sue McIntyre, which is what the one of my biggest books, this book called The Automatic Millionaire, is based on. 
this totally ordinary couple coming into my office. She's a beautician. He's got a total like mid-level corporate job. He's never made more than $55,000 a year. He comes into my office with a brown paper bag. And when I pull out his documents, it turns out he's a multimillionaire. He's got like nearly $2 million. His home is paid off free and clear. He has no debt. And I just go, what? How did you do this? And he's the one that like like laughed. He's like, David, I just did the stuff you talked about in your class. We just, we paid ourselves first. We saved money automatically. We lived below our means. We didn't spend the money as we made more. And he just walked me through this. And I was like, oh my God, I have to change my whole life. Yeah. What ha- What happens is when we grow our income, we also often, our, our, our network of friends changes, even sometimes just gradually. So mm-hmm. we were, you know, the quote unquote, keeping up with the Joneses. We end up being around people who have nicer cars and nicer clothes and a bigger house. And we just, we end up on this treadmill together. And mm-hmm. the thing is, it's a treadmill that leads to still constantly being stressed out and on in a rat race. Yep. <laughs> and the weird thing is it can happen at any level of income. Like I know people who make a lot of money, but when mm-hmm. you pull behind the curtain, you also find out that they need to keep making a lot of money yeah. because their overhead is huge and they've grown their lifestyle. You can grow your lifestyle always above your income level. Yeah. And then the problem is, especially when you're self-employed, it's actually a problem when you, when you're, when you have a job and then I'll do self-employment. You have a job and you start to make good money. If you keep ma- spending what you make, the moment you lose your job, if you're not saving money, now you're in real trouble. Right. Yes. Because first of all, it's harder to replace a, a, a job that pays you a lot. So that's a really important thing to know. Like if, if I just talked about this at CNN, I was like, if you could just t- you get raises for 10 years, if you could just somehow not take those raises for the first 10 years and and take that extra money, keep your lifestyle the same and sock that money away mm-hmm. in a decade, you'd have financial freedom that you just can't even begin to fathom. I, and I think it like in my own life, how this, um, how this manifests, like, I think that anyone listening can understand a bit of what the last, you know, 18 months of my life have been like. And I will say when the success of the book went so crazy, and everything with the business went so crazy, I did one extravagant thing. I did one very extravagant thing, which why I bought my dream car. Nice. And I, and I, and I paid for it in cash. Like, like a baller, like I'm rolling in and I'm cause I, we don't have debt. And so it was like, okay, I want this thing. I've always wanted it. I'm going to go out and buy my dream car and it's done. Other than that, we live the exact same life that we lived before any of this happened. Still shopping at Target, still, still wearing my favorite, like Target brand leggings still. And part of it just, I, I think that's maybe just who that's kind of our personality uh, in general, we're not really flashy people. We don't, I'm not, you know, if someone else is wearing a Rolex. I'm like, I kind of, I mean, I'm, it's just like, it's not my thing. Um, but I think about that all the time because I see people who are coming into a new level and they're immediately, I mean, probably before they even got to that level, they were overextended. But now that they're at, now that they're at a new level, it's something else entirely. And so I just keep thinking about that. I'm so grateful you're here so you can speak to it is like, at the very least, maybe you don't start spinning at that level till you get to the next one, but it, it's not, I, I don't know. I just, I keep seeing that play out in so many people around me. I'm like, oh no, you're doing it wrong. Well, you're doing this par- so wrong. Part of it is you want to take your income 
and convert it. Convert, this is going to sound complicated, but like it's not. You once your income goes into an investment that then pays you money. Yeah. Then you can use the money from the investment. So in other words, you take the money and you buy a piece of real estate. Like I think you just you just built you just bought an office building, right, or something for your office. Yep. Yeah. So like now, yep. of course, been in here for two weeks. <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So like also and, and also again because I just want to say because this is important to us. Also paid in cash. Wow, amazing. So we yeah. So everything we do, it's it's debt free over here. So, so yes, that's an asset, right? Like mm-hmm. that asset now, if you were to move out of that building. Mm-hmm. would pay you income for the rest of your life. Yes. And so if you've got the asset and you start to spend part of the income from the asset, well, that's that's different than you spent the money that could have bought you the asset. Does that make yeah. sense? Yes, absolutely. So, absolutely. I, you know, I always tell people like, you know, the first 10, 20 years, you want to be building up assets that pay you money while you sleep. Mm-hmm. And that can like start off with like one home that's a rental property or a mutual fund that pays dividends. Um, but it's, you know, my grandma used to always call it the, um, the golden goose and she'd just say like, don't ever kill the golden goose. You can use some of the eggs, but the golden goose, you leave the golden goose alone. And, <laughs> right. It's such a good metaphor. Uh, Seriously. So, and the other thing, you know, it's, I'm going to go back to eat to New York, uh, and like, well, I'm losing track of the days here. I'm traveling so much, but I'm going back to New York in a couple of days and I'm going to go speak to my entrepreneur group. It's called uh, EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. It's one of the largest entrepreneur groups, in, I think, in the world. And I was in this organization for 17 years and, and I, I'm going to come back and basically speak to my group in New York. And so many entrepreneurs do a really poor job with their finances because what happens is the entrepreneur is hoping someday to have a big payout of their business. They're going to build this business and then one of these days they're going to sell that business and that's going to be their mm. retirement plan. And the problem for so many entrepreneurs is they don't fund a retirement account. They don't you like use even like a SEP IRA or a 401k plan. They don't buy real estate and they don't build assets. Like they've had an accountant tell them, you know, we'll write all your expenses off at the end of the year. It's great. You won't pay any taxes. And I always go, that's not great at all because at the end of the year you're still broke. So, you know, you meet entrepreneurs that are going along, growing their business, hiring more employees, growing their business, hiring more employees, growing their expenses. And then the economy changes. And I had a lot of friends in the last recession go from being really well off to done, like decimated financially, because they didn't have even a year's worth of expenses set aside. And I am telling you, Rachel. You re- just two, three years from now, we'll be re- we'll be reconnecting on things, and like this economy's had eleven years yep. of a boom cycle. Yes, if and, and, <laughs> just because I don't know like the level of you know uh, I don't know the level of of listeners on this one. I want you to hear that again. We have had an incredible economy for eleven years. Eleven it, years. The stock market. If yeah. you've been in your four hundred and one k plan, the stock market with reinvested dividends has gone up over four hundred percent. You yep. you could have been in an S and P five hundred fund with Vanguard, and you've made fifteen percent annually a year. Mm-hmm. We have the lowest unemployment in this country in fifty years. Mm-hmm. We are sitting. This is like New Year's Eve performance celebration of like, it's just, it's been so good. and the th- Which means what? <laughs> which means <laughs> it only can stay so good for so long. Exactly. It's just, it's just exactly. how cycles work. And in, mm-hmm. even if you just study the cycles of presidential terms, 
right? Like, mm-hmm. forget who's in office right now. It doesn't. I, I don't want to get political. First-term mm-hmm. presidents are almost always reelected for a second term. Mm-hmm. First-term president cycles, the market and the economy does well. It stays strong the third year and the fourth year, typically because the person wants to be reelected and lots of things are done in an effort to keep the economy going, which was exactly mm-hmm. where we were, by the way, until a week ago with this whole China trading situation. Mm-hmm. But the market's still close to an all-time high. And if, if our president is reelected, you should have another really good year. Usually year one of the second pres- term presidency is, is, is good. And things start to slow down in years two and third by three, everybody's tired of our second term president Mm. and things change. Interesting. So if you take a combination of that and just the global economy, it's totally reasonable to expect things to slow down at some point in the next two to three years. And I will will just tell you with all my entrepreneur friends, the lecture that they're going to hear on Monday night is, guys, I am telling you right now. I'm not saying it's going to rain tomorrow. I'm telling you now is the time to be putting money aside for the rainy day. Because when yeah. the going is good, people stop thinking that the rainy day could ever come again. So real. He, oh, so good. Yeah. you need. I feel like I, I could literally talk to you about this and have once on a bus in Puerto Rico <laughs> for so long. But I want to make sure we don't miss this one thing, which has nothing to do with finance and everything to do with your heart. Um, one of the things that you said while we were in Puerto Rico at this mastermind, your this th- so so just to give everyone like a visual of what happened, we were invited by a mutual friend to go to this mastermind with I don't know what would you say like twenty people maybe you could t- Brendan Burchard. I mean I know you've talked about yeah. him on your podcast. Yeah, Our buddy yeah, totally, Brendan. Totally. I was texting him an yeah. hour ago. Like I told him I'm going on Rachel's podcast. Thanks yeah, to you, buddy. I just I uh, well I just don't want to be all name dropping, which I think is yeah. So so we're invited to this thing. We're sitting around this table, and it's just these powerhouses like people who've built crazy businesses people who are personalities like every every kind of person sitting at this table and you got to go around and basically give like kind of your best advice or the thing that you had really learned in the last however many years and what was so great was it was such a diverse mix of wisdom and your like what you said at that table will be with me for the rest. I, I don't even know what it was. It just like hit me in my gut. And maybe it's because I was tired and maybe it's because of the year that I had had. But you said this thing that like we've all heard, but for some reason, like, oh, your wisdom on this, you were just like, what if you only had three years left to live? Yeah. What if you only had three years left? Would you be proud of the way that you are living your life right now, if you only had like, what would you do differently? Can you, can you sort of take listeners into what you shared at the table that day? Because that knocked me off, like off my axis. It was so powerful for me. Yeah, you bet. So there's two parts to this story, I guess. And, and the first parts in the very back of the latte factor, the, the overarching theme of this book is actually not about the money. It's about realizing that you need to take risk to go for your dreams and your purpose in life. And you need to listen to your soul. And mm. that lesson also came from my grandma Rose Box. So my grandmother at 86, who had been incredibly healthy, who was my life mentor, she had a stroke. 
And in 86, we brought her to a nursing care facility. I was finishing Smart Women Finish Rich, the book. The book was dedicated to her. And I asked her in this hospital, this nursing care facility, you know, Grandma, this book's done. Like, but do you have any, you know, is there any life, last life lessons that you want to share with me? And she said, no, no, I really, I think I've really taught you everything you need to know. You're going to be, you're going to do amazing. And I asked her a question, which was, does, did she have any regrets in life? And she said, no. And then I'm like, great. And then the next day I came back and I'm like, how did you sleep? And she's like, terrible. I was up all night long thinking about my life regrets. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, no. And then she went through them with me. And so she went back all the way to being a teenager. And she walked me through her five regrets in life. And when she got done, she said, you know what, David, it's not about my regrets. She said, it's about the lesson in my regrets. She said, the lesson in my regrets is that every one of those regrets, I came to a fork in the road and I had to make a decision. Do I go down the road that my heart wanted to go down? The one where the risk was, but I thought that that's where the real dream would be. Or did I take the safer road? And she said, every time in the fork in the road, there was like this little girl, this little Rose that wanted to go out and play and was like, come on, Rose, let's go this way. And she said, I didn't listen to her. I listened to the big girl. I listened to the big Rose. I listened to the one that said, no, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't take that risk. We, you know, and she said, and so I sit here 86 and she's looked at me and she's like, and I'm going to die and I'm not going to leave this bed. And I was like, no, Grandma, you're going to be fine. Ooh. You're going to be better. And she, yeah. she grabbed my arm and she said, David, I need you to listen to me. You're in your 20s. She's like, you're so young. You don't need to be 86 and have regrets like this. She's like, I am telling you, and you should just hear me loud and clear. You're going to come to these forks in the road and you're going to have a little boy inside of you that's like, I want to go out and play. And then you're going to have that big boy. And she's like, it's not just you, right? Like, the big boy or the big girl could be like, you know, your mom and dad or society or your friends, all the reasons why we think we can't go do something. Like, what do you mean, Rachel, you want to go from doing cookbooks to creating a self-help <laughs> book? You know I mean, who are you? Who do you think you are yeah. to want to go create a clothing line for QVC? You don't know. Like, right? like, like, there's always people telling you why you can't do something. And she said to me, just don't listen to that voice. Listen to the young person. Listen to the little boy inside of you. And mm. so I drove back to my office, broke down crying in my office, and I promised myself that within three years, I would leave my, I had this amazing job at Morgan Stanley, but it wasn't my dream. I didn't want to be a financial advisor anymore. I wanted to go out and teach, I wanted to go teach a million women to be smarter with money so they could protect themselves and teach their kids. And I told myself sitting in a, in a garage crying in front of my rearview mirror that within three years, I would go for my dreams. And I would leave this firm and I would go do this. And I picked up, like you picked up and moved from LA to Austin. I picked up and moved from San Francisco where I had a completely dialed in set life with financial security to move to New York on a wing and a prayer to go try to <laughs> teach people about money. And, you know, t I tell that part of the story because anyone who's listening, you need to listen to the little girl, little boy in Saudi, where there are things that you want to do right now that you are not doing, or you're going to come to a fork in the road next year or two. And you need to listen to that voice so that you don't have regrets. And, and I think one of the ways you then listen to that voice clearer is you stop thinking you're going to live forever. And what I said to the group 
in Puerto Rico, because I'm 52, but there are a lot of you in the group that were in their 30s and your 40s. I said, you know, guys, everybody talks about us living forever. We're going to live with exponential technology to be 100 or 110 or 120. I go, let me tell you something. I go around the country and I speak to a lot of our clients that are 65, 75, and 80. The quality of their life is totally different than the quality of your life right now. And what I said to that group is, these next 10 years of your life, and this is true, quite frankly, for anybody who's listening, the next 10 years of your life are going to be the healthiest years of your life. Unless you're mm-hmm. some rare exception to the rule, this next 10 years in front of you, they are their, your healthiest next 10 years of your lifetime. You're going to be healthier in the next 10 years than you've ever been. You have more energy now than you will ever have. If you just had 10 years left to live, you could live these 10 years because it's going to go by in the blink of an eye. You could live these next 10 years having gone for your dreams and maybe got them or just be 10 years older. And then what I said to the group was, 10 years is a really good time frame. But man, when you want to live super intentionally, you take those 10 years and you shrink them down to 36 months. And here's the thing. If you only have three years left to live and you ask yourself a question, you've got three years left to live starting today. Mm -hmm. Well, now what do you want to do with your life? Now, who do you want to spend time with? Now, what do you want to spend time worrying about, which is almost nothing? (laughs) <laughs> right? Like yes. all the stuff that we spend time worrying about it. You have th- 36 months left to live. You're not going to worry about those things. And usually it takes actually being told by the doctor that you are dying to live this way. Unless yeah. you play the game of, well, if I only had 36 months left to live, I'd want to go do this. And, you know, example, like I'm moving in 70 days to Florence, Italy with my family. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. (laughs) And, you know, my son's going to be a sophomore. And I said to myself, you know, this is my last chance to take my kid to go live abroad. I've got one little tiny window here before he goes to college. I'm going to pick up my whole family and intentionally move them somewhere to Europe, which we chose Florence, to go live this dream life for a year. And it's taken a lot, by the way, to pull this all off. And it's been hard. Yeah, it has. Um, but it's because I'm, I, I am living an intentional life with a desire to live rich. The underlying theme of the latte factor is you don't have to be rich to live rich and you're richer than you think. Yeah. And thinking about your life in terms of what do you really want and spending more time going for that than focusing on what you don't want. Oh my gosh, David Bach, you are so incredible. I know everybody listening has had their hearts lit on fire. I'm I'm so grateful to get to call you friend. And I always love when my real life friends get to come on and talk to listeners so they get to experience some of that wisdom too. The book, you guys, the new book is called The Latte Factor. The OG, the thing that started it all is Smart Women Finish Rich. You need to go buy one or both right now um, and absorb this wisdom. I'm so grateful, brother. Thank oh my God. you so I'm much so for the time. I'm so grateful. And you know what? I, know, I don't know when you're going to put this podcast out, but if they if you get it in the next couple of weeks, come on over to our website, thelattefactor.com, because we've got, we kept our bonuses open. Like, you know how you do bonuses with your book? Uh-huh. We kept our bonuses open. We've got $500 worth of bonuses on thelattefactor.com, awesome. including a class called Start Late, Finish Rich. And so come on over to our website. Let us know you came from Rachel. <laughs> tell Dave I said hello. I am I will. I am going back to Puerto Rico, taking my wife back to that hotel at the end of June oh, to celebrate that the, the best? over. Oh my god, it was the yes. best. Yes. Was the- oh, so dreamy. Ride a bike for us and send us it's pictures. It's a deal. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's really good fun. <laughs> of course. Of course.